0: You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. We've all experienced the symptoms of anxiety. But have you ever thought about what anxiety actually is? How does it manifest? What what is controlling that experience, those sensations that we feel when anxiety takes hold. What's really at its root and what are some of the real clinically proven solutions? So today I have for you one of my favorite people on the planet, renowned neuroscientist, Dr. Wendy Suzuki, and she's here to really provide us with a masterclass on anxiety. Now, the reason that I wanted to do this masterclass is because right now, unbeknownst to most people, Nearly one-third of the U.S. population has been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. So when we talk about these hidden epidemics and these things that are really integrated into our society, into our communities, into our families, this simply isn't getting a lot of attention. And what are some of the downstream effects? Well, we know that anxiety can cripple our immune system. Recently, we talked about here on the Model Health Show, the CDC's latest report in looking at what are the leading causes of death? resulting from COVID-19. And we knew that, yes, obesity is the number one risk factor for death. But again, overlooked by many, and most folks have no idea about this research, looking at over 500,000 COVID patients, the second leading cause of death is fear and anxiety-related disorders. Second leading risk factor. And again, we wonder why. It's because of the damage that this can do to our immune system, the psychoneuroimmunology aspect of this and how our mind and our perception of the world can change our biochemistry dramatically. So we know that aspect. Also, what is it going to do as far as our heart health, our blood sugar, our cognitive performance, and so much more. Everything is going to be affected dramatically by our incidence of anxiety. But as I mentioned, we have solutions. Not only that, you're going to find that there is actually some promising reward within our anxiety. But that is such a much bigger story. And I brought on the very best person in the world to talk about this. So really excited to get to that. And now being that she's a neuroscientist, in our past conversations, even here on the Model Health Show, we talked about the dramatic impact that things like exercise have on the brain, have on cognitive performance, have on managing and modulating things like stress and anxiety. So we've covered that a little bit, but also where we really connected was on how food and our nutrition has a dramatic impact on our brain health and our cognitive performance, which this should be obvious because your brain is made from the food that you eat, from the nutrients that you it. But the brain also is very picky. You know, we have the blood brain barrier, this very protective system ensuring that only the right stuff, the right stuff. Shout out to new kids on the block. Get into your brain, right? Now, one of the most important things for the brain, but also funny enough is one of the most popular things talked about in regards to our immune system is vitamin C. A study published in Frontiers in Aging Neuroscience found that adequate plasma levels of vitamin C significantly improved performance on task involving attention, focus, memory, decision speed, recall, and recognition versus test subjects who were deficient in vitamin C. How important is this? These are basic things. We're looking for this new holy grail thing that's going to improve our cognitive ability, but we really need to get the foundational things handled first. Are we getting adequate vitamin C in our diet. Because this is the thing, botanical sources of vitamin C far outperform synthetic forms of vitamin C over and over again on clinical trials. And my personal the thing that I take on a regular basis to make sure that I'm getting adequate amounts of vitamin C, I get the most dense, vitamin C dense superfoods ever discovered. One of my favorites is Amla berry, And this is highlighted in the Journal of Food Science and Technology. States that a single amla berry can contain up to 600% of the RDA for vitamin C in one berry. All right. That is a superfood in every sense of the word to be so dense and one of these essential vitamin C is an essential nutrient that we must get from our diet. And but it's not just the fact that, okay, this is a great source of vitamin C. How does it show up in the data in our bodies? Well, a study published in the journal of the science of food and agriculture demonstrated that antioxidants in amla berry were found to have significant free radical scavenging activity and protect against cellular reactive oxygen species, essentially helping to defend against cellular damage and accelerated aging. Yes, please. Yes, please. All right. So that's amla berry. And you combine that with an amla berry isn't even the top botanical when it comes to vitamin C. That is actually awarded to camu, Camu camuberry, C-A-M-U-C-A-M-U, and combine those together with acerola cherry, the third of my favorite vitamin C dense superfoods. That combination is found in one place, in one place only, and that is the vitamin C complex from Paleo Valley. No binders, no fillers, organic, real superfood concentrates. This is the best vitamin C bar nine, and one of the most important things for our immune system and our overall health that we need today. Head over there right now to paleovalley.com forward slash model. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com forward slash model. And you're going to get 15% off their Essential C Complex. I'm telling you, you need to have this in your superfood cabinet. And also their turmeric complex is amazing as well. They've got great snacks, organic snacks for your friends, family, for your kids. So many good things at Paleo Valley. Head over there, check them out, paleovalley.com forward slash model. Now let's get to the Apple podcast review of the week.
1: Another five star review titled Inspirational by MVP 2200. I love this podcast. I started out reading the book, which changed my mindset about health and what it really means. Not weight or looks, but health. This podcast helps motivate and inspires me daily.
0: Awesome. Thank you so very much for leaving me that review over on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate you immensely. And listen, if you had yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for The Model Health Show. It means so much. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is Dr. Wendy Suzuki, and she's a professor of neuroscience and psychology, In the Center for Neuroscience at New York University. Shout out to NYU. And a celebrated international authority on neuroplasticity. She was recently named one of the 10 women changing the way we see the world by good housekeeping and regularly serves as a sought after expert for publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Shape and Health. And her TED Talk has more than 31 million views and was the second most viewed TED Talk of 2018. She's also the author of the best-selling book, Healthy Brain, Happy Life, as well as her brand new book, Good Anxiety. So let's jump into this conversation with the amazing Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for coming to hang out with us in LA. Last time I saw you, we were in your City in my city,
1: yeah, in a cool little studio in Midtown. So great to see you in beautiful LA.
0: Yes. Thank you for coming out. And also we did talk since then with your students. That's
1: right. You came to be a guest lecturer in my NYU undergraduate class. And I got so much good feedback for the practical information that you gave on sleep. Why is it good? How do you you know, how do you improve sleep? I told them about the neurobiology of sleep, but yeah, big deal. I, I still can't sleep, you know, so give me give me some help here. And so you came. so thank you so much it was it was such a shot in the arm that's the so students. awesome.
0: It was fun. It was yeah. really fun. Well, you're here, and you told me a little bit about this when I saw you last that you were working on this project. yeah, and even then I was so intrigued mm. because this topic of anxiety, this experience. Of anxiety is really at epidemic proportions yeah it it's really something is. that a lot of people are experiencing and struggling with and kind of suffering in silence in a sense yeah and you've really helped to turn this thing on its head and the oh, fact thank you for me that i love so much about you is yeah. that you're a neuroscientist yeah so you can actually look at this <laughs> from that lens and also the practical lens yeah so the first thing i want to ask you actually mm. is a little bit different i want to ask you what is anxiety ah, and where does it stem from in the brain?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a great place to start. So anxiety is simply defined as that worry for an imminent possible event or worry about uncertainty. So look around, you know, pandemic, Delta variant What could be more uncertain than than that and fall coming with us and school going back and and all of that? So not surprising that that basic base definition of anxiety going up. And, um, you know, uh, before the pandemic, 90% of the population raised their hands when asked, do you feel anxiety during the day? That has clearly gone up. Uh, And so this is something that Um, we're not suffering all alone. Look around the room, 90% plus more people in this room are feeling these same feelings as you are. So that's the important place to start. So where does it stem in the brain? So it stems from our stress response system. This is an evolutionarily ancient system that was developed, and this is a key point in the book, the stress and anxiety response system was evolved to protect us. It is a protective mechanism. And I like to say that over and over again, because all of us, including me, it's like, oh, stress, anxiety, just get it out, just make it leave. But this is one of the key messages in good anxiety. At its core, it is protective. How can we reshape and refunnel the activation energy in stress and anxiety to help it protect us more, get back to that core feature. And so how do we do that? Um, Everybody's heard of the Fight or flight response. It is undergirded by a part of the nervous system called the sympathetic nervous system. That's automatic. If there is a danger or a possible danger, what happens? Your heart rate goes up. Your respiration goes up. All your blood leaves from your digestive and reproductive systems, goes to your muscles to allow you to either fight or run away. So, And that happens whether there's a line coming at you or whether there's a big worry of global warming, pandemic, all these things. Even the threat of that possibility, that anxiety can activate the same system. So that's where we're getting tripped up in our modern society. Way back 2.5 million years ago, our ancestors had the same system. But they weren't bombarded with stress and anxiety every single day. There's an occasional lion that might come our way, and we can run and get get rid of it, and then go back to normal. Today, 24-hour news cycles, Instagram feeds, all the time, reminding us of the beautiful clothes and the beautiful life we don't have, and and all of the dangers in our world, yeah. which are real. And so it's activating our stress system to an overload, and that is not healthy that is not normal and good anxiety gives you a huge list of tools to start to address that overload of stress and anxiety
0: yeah oh my goodness so powerful yeah i love the detail that you gave the ancient human example yes. and then a modern circumstance yeah and really what i took away from that is a very clear indication that this overwhelming fear stress anxiety those very important systems that we have, yeah. they can respond to what is an imminent real threat yeah. and to what is imagined yes. as well. Mm-hmm. And your brain doesn't know the difference. Your is brain, that right?
1: Yeah. Your brain and your bodily response does not know the difference. So you can be worried about global warming, uh, even when you know we're not uh, experiencing it, even though we are, um, and that will give us the same, you know, fear response. And again, it's protective. It, it, we're getting ready to move to act on it, and that's the other problem. A lot of these issues are um, there isn't the lion to run away from. And so, what I've talked about in the book and what I've given tools for is to help you turn that worry into some kind of action to dissipate, to use that energy in a positive way. Why am I doing that? Because that is what the system was evolved to do. And it gives you a way to dissipate that. It decreases your anxiety. It it um, it uses that activation energy, but in a way that is beneficial for us.
0: Yeah. So this experience, so first of all, I want to reiterate this. Our experience of anxiety is actually biological feedback. Yes, and it's giving it's giving way to a new change in perception, mm. in action, mm-hmm. and our issue though, and I want to ask you about this. Yeah. Instead of addressing this critical feedback that mm-hmm. the anxiety is giving us, and yeah. also I want to mention this too that that the anxiety can be that the superficial thing that we see, but it can be something that's in unconscious yeah. potentially that's driving the anxiety. Yeah. Sure. But so it can be used more of, a, of an investigative tool.
1: Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. But in our
0: society today, we often utilize things to basically suppress it.
1: Exactly.
0: And so, what are some of those things that we tend to do, like drinking, for example, or yeah. you know, may, maybe being on social media, mm-hmm. and potentially making it worse.
1: Right. Right. So we talk about this in the book as. Different categories of coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their coping mechanisms, from um, potato chips to chocolate to um, uh, to Netflix watching. And there are definitely pos- more positive coping mechanisms. If you turn to meditation, if you turn to calming breath work, positive positive coping mechanisms. Alcohol is is a common one that that. One can, um, you know, indulge in every once in a while, but too much that that becomes a negative coping mechanism because it 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 um, feeds uh, some of those negative feelings. And also, going back to the importance of sleep, it can diminish your sleep. That makes your brain and your emotional regulation much more poor, and that does not help with your stress or anxiety at all. So um, there are different categories we talk about, and um, Um, One of the exercises is to take a look and list out your particular coping mechanisms and start to categorize them. A lot of this book is helping you step back and take a look at what you are doing in your life around anxiety and being more mindful about that and learning from it. As you're saying, I think anxiety can be one of the most powerful self-help tools that we never knew we had. I mean, imagine that it goes from the thing that you want to throw out the door and never see to something that actually could help me learn about myself, make my life less stressful if I just learn how to learn from
0: it. Mm, it's so good. So what, what could anxiety be trying to tell us, yeah. for example? Like, what are some examples if we're feeling that that um, just existential angst or, you know, feeling uh, impending doom. You, yeah. you you describe a lot of the different feelings yeah. that people get. You know, you, you mentioned like there's a garden variety, daily anxiety, and yes. there's more severe yeah. instances, but they're all giving us biological feedback.
1: Right, exactly. What could, it be, what
0: could anxiety be trying to tell us?
1: Yeah, so um, I think the easiest thing to understand is um, what are It tells us more about what we value what we really love and what we need in this life and throughout the book you will learn all about my own personal anxieties because they are the examples that i turn to and so one of the anxieties that i talk about that has been with me for a very very long time that people don't initially appreciate because i'm a speaker and a teacher is that i was very very shy kid and it, it was social anxiety that I had. I, I didn't like to speak out. I, I was very awkward in social situations. I was never one of the cool kids. I was, I was the wallflower. And um, even in class, I loved I loved learning. I loved school, but I found it hard to raise my hand and, and jump into those conversations like I wanted to. And um, that really taught me about how much I wanted to be a part of social interactions, even though I was afraid to do it. And over the years, I've learned how to speak out, how to become a good and effective teacher and speaker. And um, those were things um, that fear is something that I needed to get over. But it's really taught me how, how much, ever since I was a young girl, I valued those friendships those social interactions and it's it's changed the way that i um that i appreciate my friends my family as as i started as i in fact this has changed as i wrote the book um and i'll just bring up uh um one of the other things i learned from that particular anxiety which is i realized it was one of my special gifts Mm, that came from my form of anxiety because um, I I was working hard to figure out what are those lessons that come from anxiety. And I was like, oh my God, I've been doing this all of my teaching career because, so what have I been doing? I have been spending extra time and effort making sure that the shy students in my class the students that didn't raise their hands like hermione granger and Ron anson pick me pick me pick me i love those students too but i was concerned with the ones that were too shy to do that that still wanted to interact with me they wanted to show me what they knew how did i know that because i wanted to show my teacher what i knew like like see what i i'm thinking about and see how i understand this and so i spend the time before class and after class, and during office hours, making sure that there are safe spaces for the less, um, you know, bold students to come and just chat casually, so that I could um, uh, get get there, get inside, and kind of take the pulse of the class that way. Why do I do that? That takes a lot of time. I do that because I know how they feel. It, that form of empathy comes from my anxiety. and everybody has that. What is your worst anxiety? You know how that feels and you can turn that around and make that into a gift of anxiety, a gift of yeah empathy that is unique and special to you. And once I realize that, I'm like, okay, that that is the core. That is that is the lesson. That is the learning that teaches me about myself. It also gives me gifts to give to other people.
0: Yes, yes. So that anxiety that you experienced as a kid, you know, yeah. coming up, and of course, it, I'm sure that evolved into adulthood yes. somewhat as well. And just, yes, it did. But it offered the ability to serve other people. Yeah, you know, once you kind of crack the code a little yeah. bit. And being able to see from the perspective of people who are in that same circumstance is very powerful. But also, I want to mention this again. It helped that anxiety, which is, it sounds crazy. It actually was a really big gift in disguise because yeah. it helped you to active, activate a superpower. Yes. Because not only did the shy kid who was terrified to talk and raise her hand in school. Yeah. Now she has the biggest TED Talk of the year <laughs> in that category. Was it 2018? 2018, 2018 I think? yeah. The second second biggest. Yes. No offense. Yeah. No offense. Number one. Screw number one. <laughs> but that is a massive deal. Yeah. You know, you stood on stage and you created such a connection mm. to the audience. Stood in your power to the degree that it became that popular. Yeah. So it's like a superhero story. <laughs> but you could have just used that anxiety and just stayed in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, in a Easily. sense, and, and or using coping me- mechanisms, mm-hmm. which I want to circle back to. Yeah. And talk a little bit more about this because I don't think folks realize this. And sometimes I I wait for the right person to Uh bring up these things. But this is one of the most overlooked issues right Mm -hmm. here. Um, So another, we we mentioned alcohol can be a coping mechanism. Sales for alcohol exploded when the pandemic (laughs) hit. But also drugs, both prescription and Mm non-prescription. In 2020, drug overdose deaths hit the highest number ever recorded. Wow.
1: I didn't know that stat.
0: So that's another big issue. And again, it's one of those things we can mask symptoms. Yeah. We can try to suppress what this biological feedback is trying to give us, which right. again, is, is it's offering up a new change of perception, a new way of living, a yeah. new, some kind of opportunity, mm-hmm. but we suppress it. And we mentioned food being another suppressive yeah. factor, television, yeah. social media, mm-hmm. and these things often not just suppress, but they can end up making things worse. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. <sighs> even though they feel so good mm. at the moment. I mean, that is that is their draw. Mm. And um I think that that um part of the kind of jujitsu move that I tried to lay out for people in good anxiety is that if you lean in to those feelings those negative feelings. And I know I'm asking something big, like I'm not saying, come to me, it'll be all happiness and rainbows. But the thing I found myself doing as I wrote this book is I found myself making friends with my own anxiety, not treating it as the thing that was, I was about to kick it out because I never want to see it again, but really treating it as part of me part of me that needs attention. And I'm not saying that I can do this when I'm at the depths, when it's, you know, it's really, really bad. But when you're in a, a better state, think about what, what this information is giving you. Why are you turning to the alcohol? Why are you turning to the chocolate? Um, and can you, can you use that and turn it into a different kind of action? So you might think, oh, I have a great action. I you know just get that bottle and and I'm 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 going into my activity. But um, one of the other best gifts that I got from this book came from a lawyer uh, who I was describing the book to, and they said, oh, well, you know, I am the high-paid lawyer that I am because of my anxiety. And I said, oh, do tell. Mm. And she said, you know, I have this. to-do list that comes and, and becomes overwhelming. It's actually not a 2D list, sorry. It's a what-if list. What if the other side makes this argument? What if the judge does this? Then I'm going to lose my whole case and I'm, you know, I'm going to be, you know, a, a lawyer without a job. And uh that resonated with me because when I am kept awake from my anxiety, it's because of that what-if list. What if what if they ask me a really hard question on the podcast? What if I can't answer? What if I forget, you know, something I wrote about in the book? All these terrible things that come up. And so, what did she do? What did this lawyer do? She simply turned that what if list into an action item list. And doing that, she ended up filling all the possible gaps in the case that she was building and going dotting all the i's, crossing all the t's. And in Filling that out, she diminished her anxiety. She instead of, you know, using alcohol and chocolate, she did a positive action, used her own what if list that was coming up because of her anxiety. Mm. And that is that jujitsu move. Why don't you just take that and address it? Address each one of them or address all of them that you can. Some of them you might not be able to address. You know, what if the, what if the planet explodes? Okay, sorry, you can't really. (laughs) do that but what if you know there's this argument what if they look at it this way what if they ask me this question well i could prepare for all of these questions that sean might be there asking me being curious about and um i'm going to feel so much better because i i'm going to feel like i have i have that answer i i I know i know my stuff and um it becomes a superpower it really does
0: and all of it's a learning opportunity yes regardless of how it goes in a sense and also, we're so adaptable. We don't give ourselves credit for this. You know, we tend yeah. to think that this thing that's happening is permanent. Yeah. You know, I'm just stuck in this. This anxiety is who I am. Right. You know, I'm an anxious person. When in reality, and this is, I want to ask you about this, Professor Diamond's work. Yeah. Really starting to demonstrate how adaptable we are and yeah. how the the plasticity of the yeah. brain. So let's talk about
1: that. Yeah. So that is such a great topic because at the core of this book. The reason why I'm optimistic that anybody that has this kind of everyday anxiety can learn to adapt is because for the last 25 years I've studied brain plasticity, the brain's amazing ability to learn and respond and adapt to the environment. There's different categories of brain plasticity. There's positive brain plasticity that allows you to adopt. And this is what I write about in Good Anxiety. There's negative brain plasticity. And here we go back to our negative coping mechanisms. Like, oh, I, I to let, let me just try alcohol. Let's see whether that's helpful. And alcohol, long-term alcohol, it's not good for your brain. It's not uh, adaptable. Um, but there, our brains are the most complex and, um, Uh, amazing structures known to humankind. And that brain plasticity, the ability to learn and adapt is on the top of that list of things that make the human brain so amazing. We have that capacity, every single brain. Um, And I like to remind people, I'm not talking about Einstein's brain, Marie Curie's brain that is most amazing. I'm talking about your brain, the one in your head. It has the capacity to learn to grow, to adapt to the environment. And so the toolbox that I talk about in Good Anxiety taps that ability. Let's shift our perspective, shift our mindset, turn a what-if list into a to-do list. That is an example of positive brain plasticity. You can't do it when you're at the depth of an anxiety attack, but use some of the coping mechanisms Breath work is one of the easiest direct ways that you could help yourself get out of those feelings of anxiety. And once you have it in a manageable way, that's when you can turn your anxiety into something good for yourself,
0: and mm. for your
1: life. Oh, so good.
0: So let's talk about the environment mm. that influences all of this as well. Yeah. Because, you know, I come from an environment where it's more similar to the other mice in in the study from Professor <laughs> the, uh, the Professor Diamond. Yes, are you yes, about? and oh. so, um, but then there's the Disneyland type yes. environment as well. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that because I think this yeah. leads into our our our, t- our template in a mm-hmm. sense yeah. when we're dealing with life as right. we get older.
1: Right. So you are referring to a classic experiment that Marion Diamond, um, my mentor at UC Berkeley, did way back in the 1960s. And this is at a time when we didn't think that the adult brain could change in any appreciable way. And so she said, I don't I don't think that's true, but let me try and do an experiment to show the rest of the scientists that this is not true. And so she she turned to the environment. How, what kind of lifestyle or life environment do these um, mice or rats have. And she created two different ones. One was the enriched environment, which I like to call the Disney world of rat cages with lots of toys to play with, other rats around. Uh, the toys got changed out every day. So it was like living in a real life Disney world for three months. And the other was an impoverished environment where there were no toys, maybe one a- other rat. Both rats got free food and water, as much food and water as they could eat or drink. And if the adult brain didn't change, then those environments wouldn't change the anatomy of the brain at all. Well, three months later, they went back, they looked at the anatomy, and what they found was the rats that lived in that Disney world of rat cages, the outer covering of the brain, the cortex, was significantly thicker. It had actually grown significantly so that she could measure that. And it not grown all over the place, but grown in brain areas that made sense. The visual cortex was bigger. The visual environment was much richer in that Disney World of Rat Cages than in the impoverished environment. The motor cortex was bigger. They were playing around. There were multiple levels and they had lots of toys to play with. The uh, somatosensory cortex, the touch cortical area was bigger. And so you can change your brain. You can learn and grow in those positive environments. And they learned better as well.
0: Mm, and these are things that knowing this yeah. bit of data, we can proactively engage Yes, and we can change our brains. I've just, I've been talking about this a lot lately because I, it really hit me one day that our brains are completely unique to yes. any other person who's ever existed exactly. before us and anybody to come yeah. because they're based on our own experiences Yes, and also our own thoughts, mm. our own mm-hmm. thinking. And so it's incredibly powerful and we can give ourselves, we can create our own virtual disneyland you know for ourselves um externally and internally Mm -hmm. especially yeah and so it's very empowering to know that because we're basically one of the things i've also been thinking about is that why is the most as michi okaku said Mm -hmm. the human brain is the most complicated organ in the known universe yes why is it that it's that powerful but yet so fragile yeah and i was really thinking about this one day you know, it's the only organ fully encased in hard bone. It's very protected, but it's yeah, also very fragile. It is. And the reason that it's so soft and so fragile is that it changes so much. It yeah. has to remain in this kind of malleable state because there's so much activity going on. Yeah. So it really hit me one day mm. that this is why, that's the paradox of this amazing brain of ours. Yeah. And, um, you know, knowing this. So let's talk more about some of the things that we can do to actually tap into this resilience. Yeah. And that resilience word is a key word, because mm-hmm. in the book you talk about how, for example, having good fun experiences helps to build up resilience to anxiety. Mm-hmm. How is
1: that? Yeah. so you know, um, resilience comes from um, appreciation of uh, of the positive experiences that we have in our life. But the other important aspect is, imagine if all you had was positive experiences what what we would call a positive experience that would turn into just normal it's positive but because we have negative more a, a different kind of experience to compare and contrast and this really gets gets to our whole cavalcade of emotions that we have we tend to want to migrate only to the happiness and the joy don't get me wrong. I love happiness and joy, but it's only the happiness and joy that we imagine because there's also the sadness and the worry and the, and the anxiety yeah. as one of the, one of the emotions. Those are critical emotions as well. And I think part of resilience is that very practical appreciation of all kinds of um, emotions. And not kind of uh, giving into the 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 dream or the um, uh, uh, the non realistic idea that we could be happy all the time. That happiness is the goal of our whole existence. So it's it's about realism about yeah. our emotions and appreciating those quote unquote negative emotions. I hate that because we don't yeah. have any other thing to call them. They're not negative. They're they're different different kinds of emotions that are protective, that help us. They tell us what's good and bad about our lives. What if we didn't have that? Right. We would be puddles of just Netflix watching, you know, TV watchers all the time, just to be happy all the
0: time. Have you seen that movie, WALL-E, by chance? Is it no animated I, movie?
1: Yeah, no, I know it, but I, I didn't see it.
0: Yeah, basically the premise is that humankind does evolve to being that oh. Netflix Watching, <laughs> sitting, literally, just you're in a chair that gives you everything that you need. Yeah, you know, and you know what's so crazy is that hearing what you just said, mm. and I'm I just sprinkled a little bit of this earlier when I asked you an yeah. earlier question, but yeah, that impoverished environment that I was in prior yeah. to that, really, my earliest memories. I live with my grandmother, which was the Disneyland oh. version. You know, it was yeah. incredibly enriching. Uh huh everything about it so many wonderful experiences all the wonderful toys and yeah. wonderful uh, education opportunities mm. and friends and safety and yeah. certainty and all these things yes we're laying down and wiring my brain for a certain uh experience but yeah. then you know my grandmother moved away mm. and i moved with my mother and stepfather mm-hmm. it's a completely opposite environment mm. a lot of violence a lot of uncertainty uh-huh. uh, a lot of you know you could see the alcohol and drug use uh-huh. and all these different things and my brain had this template. So now I'm experiencing the the challenge. I'm right. experiencing a place where now the anxiety and the worry are are bubbling up. Yes. But I've also have this template of strength right. that I've built. Yeah. And I know that I'm not going to be this. Yeah. I'm not I'm going to I'm going to last beyond this circumstance. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. All these things that I've never put words to. Mm. But I can see them there in my character. Yeah. You know, and also the people around me, even my family's like, Sean's gonna. You know, he's, he's going to skyrocket at Uh, some point, you know, regardless of the circumstance. Yeah. So, but the thing is, we can do this at any time. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: That's how powerful we are to, to, to utilize those. And I love that you said this. These are not bad emotions. They're not negative negative emotions. emotions. They're giving us feedback and opportunity. Right. What is this trying to instruct me to do? Yeah. And also knowing some of this stuff is going to be some heavy lifting. Yeah. You know, with some stuff. You can start stacking conditions with little things, mm-hmm. and so I want to ask you about that yeah. because when we when talking about that resilience yeah. and resilience building, mm-hmm. you mentioned a couple of very specific uh, brain chemicals. You talk about BDNF, uh-huh. for example. Let's talk yeah. about BDNF, yeah. and let's talk about what are some things we could do to to boost that yeah. resiliency factor with BDNF.
1: Right. So BDNF is a growth factor that we know quite a bit about, and um, what does BDNF do? It helps synapses form. Uh, it is uh, one of the best things that it's known for is that it helps brand new brain cells be born and survive and thrive in my favorite brain structure called the hippocampus. Very important for long-term memory. Um, why is memory so important? Um, I, I like to remind people because it, it, people don't um, necessarily put this together. you like, memory, memory's good. I, I like to have a good memory but your hippocampus is building your own personal history. Mm. Who would you be without those memories of your grandmother Mm. and then moving to your mom and stepdad's house? You would not be Shawn Stevenson if you didn't have those memories. And that is because you have your hippocampus. And BDNF builds more brain cells in your hippocampus that makes your memories more um well it makes your memory work better it it in fact the new brain cells that get born today in adulthood relative to the ones that have been there since you were born they actually get incorporated in memory circuits more easily than than the older ones so i think of them as like teenage teenage uh, uh, brain cells they they always always want to be involved so bdnf you want bdnf to be in the brain to have that happen because i want the biggest fattest fluffiest hippocampus that I could ever have how do I get that what is the secret uh, ingredient moving your body yeah exercise and particularly aerobic exercise that is simply exercise that increases your heart rate that does not necessarily mean you know have to become a marathon runner a good power walk a walk up the stairs is aerobic so start with that know that that counts that is increasing levels of BDnF in your brain. And so imagine, I like to give the analogy that every single time you work out, you are, or you move your body, you are giving your brain this wonderful neurochemical bubble bath of, um, uh, of features of, of, uh, proteins, including BDNF, but also neurotransmitters that you might've heard of dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline. So, um, that is, that is the image that I, I wanna give everybody so that they, they realize every time I walk farther to, in Costco, around the store, mm-hmm. I'm giving my brain this bubble bath. Every time I go for a walk, every time I take my dog for the walk, I'm getting this bubble bath and I'm strengthening my hippocampus.
0: Yes, making your brain more resilient. Yes. I shared this on an episode, this was years ago, and it was a peer-reviewed study and they found that strength training mm. does in fact make folks more resilient mm. when put up against different stressful tasks and things like mm. that so we've got the aerobic side we've got yeah. just the most important thing that you said is moving your body yeah, moving your body and i'm a big proponent of moving your body in a way that you enjoy exactly. as well and i know that you are too yes yes you know so whether that's roller skating yeah. whether that's you know, playing tennis, or mm-hmm. if you've been watching the Olympics badminton, oh, have you seen it? That that's hard.
1: <laughs> you've got to be like a gazelle uh, with a racket to play. You know, <laughs> to but play I, badminton.
0: For some folks, they could see that. Like, I could do that. Nah, it's a whole <laughs> different ball game. The ping pong, though, that's another one of those things. Just like, are you a robot? Yeah. Like, it's it's so crazy. Yeah. So, that, but anything that you feel good about, but also right. incorporates movement, yeah. our our genes expect us to move. Yeah you know, exactly. and so it's just tapping into being more human. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I love that you mentioned that. And also another one uh, you talk about in the book, and I talked about this in my book, my most recent one yeah. as well, NPY. Mm,
1: yes. So
0: neuropeptide Y.
1: Yeah, neuropeptide Y, really important for resilience um, studied in um, soldiers that do or do not study, uh, um, develop PTSD. Mm. And that is one of the factors that Can be identified if you have more of that that is better for your overall brain resilience we don't know how to enrich our brains specifically with neuropeptide why but um i like to share with people that um you know all of our life experiences particularly those challenging ones those ones that that come with some pain Including some, you know, including uh, weight training workouts. Every single one of those experiences help build certain aspects of our resilience. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes you get a big shot in the arm of it and you think, I'm never going to get out of this, but you come out and you come out changed um, with more resilience. And um, I think it's important to realize that and, and not welcome it, but know that with great pain, comes the wisdom and the power of resilience
0: yeah yeah and it's amazing that we get to to talk about all the different chemistry taking place but it boils down to these real world, world principles as well yeah and um but just a little sidebar with npy and that ptsd mm-hmm. resilience you know i talked about it in the context like we know it's associated with our appetite for example mm. And this just looks at how all of these things are really connected. Like we tend to separate these things in parts, and it's great to talk about. But our brains are so interconnected with our bodies, right? And you know, if we talk about you know the hypothalamus, for Mm -hmm. example, being like an integration center is kind of how I think about it. Mm -hmm. So powerful, and there are things that we can do. We don't really know how they work, but we know they. I guess they're kind of the ingredients again to just be more human. Yeah. Got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. One of the biggest issues facing our world today is the health of our immune system. And our immune system has many different dynamic parts. We have an innate immune system and we also have an adaptive immune system. Our adaptive immune system has an intelligence that helps us to adapt to any pathogen that we are faced with. And our nutrition is a big part of this equation because our immune cells are made from the foods and nutrients that we consume. And one of the most powerful nutritive sources proven to help fortify our immune system is highlighted in the study published in Mediators of Inflammation. They discovered that the polysaccharides in reishi medicinal mushroom were found to enhance the proliferation of T cells and B cells of our adaptive immune system. These were found to have the capacity to be immunomodulators helping to uplevel the function and intelligence of our immune system, or if our immune system is overactive, to help to reduce and bring down that immune activity. Again, this is called immunomodulation. And also inflammation of many different viruses that we might be exposed to is one of the big issues. And one of the viruses that we're facing right now is a tropism or target towards inflammation of our lungs. And another study published in Patents on Inflammation and Drug Discovery revealed that the renowned medicinal mushroom reishi has potent anti-inflammatory and anti-allergic action. Plus, again, it possesses immunomodulating capabilities. Super remarkable. It's one of the things that's been utilized for centuries that we have access to today, but we wanna make sure that it is dual extracted, meaning that it's a hot water extract and alcohol extract So we're getting all of these benefits that are noted in studies like these. And the place that I get my Reishi from that does it the right way, organic high quality Reishi without any nefarious substances coming along from these random companies that are putting these formulas together is from Four Sigmatic. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model. And you're gonna get 10 to 15% off all of the medicinal mushrooms that they carry. And by the way, reishi is great for your sleep as well. This is another peer reviewed study published in Pharmacology, Biochemistry and Behavior, found that the renowned medicinal mushroom reishi was able to significantly decrease sleep latency, meaning you fall asleep faster and increase your overall sleep time and also increase your sleep efficiency. So much good stuff. And this is one of the things about real foods that have a storied history is that they're not just good for one thing, they're good for many things. All right, that's why I'm a big fan of rishi, and I have a cup many nights of the week before bed, about 30, 45 minutes before bed. Definitely helps with improving sleep quality, but also beneficial for our immune system. Maybe have it with a little bit of whole natural source, high quality fats like MCT oil, coconut oil, maybe a little bit of ghee, whatever it is that you're into that helps to, to cut the bitterness. Maybe a little bit, couple little drops of some stevia, some English toffee stevia, chocolate stevia just to make it nice and palatable or some folks have their rishi tea all by itself. Either way, it's one of the most effective things right now when immune health is a top priority. Check it out for sigmatic.com forward slash model. And now back to the show. So you mentioned in the book, you talk about these seven characteristics that show signs of strong resilience. And I want to talk about some of these. One is an optimistic outlook.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Why is that? How's that playing?
1: So it really is a, uh, People that are optimistic are really experts at mindset. They are people that have learned how to how to use their mindset in positive ways to take that, you know, oh, you got paired with the one, the person that you really didn't want to, you know, the one that causes you lots of anxiety. And and the optimistic person will say, this is an opportunity for me to learn how to deal with this anxiety provoking person instead of, ah, the universe is against me. Um, And that that is a part of that positive brain plasticity. And that is one of the long-term kind of tools that I talk about, learning how to shift and use your mindset to create optimism in any situation that comes up. I, I think that optimistic people are not born, they are made. And they are always working on, what is that? What is another way that I can look at this situation? And um, that is part of the kind of homework or, or, or practice that we give in, uh, that I give in Good Anxiety um, to build that, that, um, that muscle of optimism.
0: Yeah, so good. So another one is social support.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah.
0: I think there's a big deficiency, yes. a perceived deficiency, because we tend to be a little bit more isolated yeah. today, a lot more isolated. Right. So social support, how does that add to resilience? Yeah.
1: So just like we were evolved as humans to move our bodies, we were also evolved to be social creatures. To um, There are bra- huge brain areas that are purely devoted to perceiving the face and emotions of the face because it is so expressive. Mm. Our facial emotions and and it's part of that social interaction that that happens. How is Sean feeling today? Is he relaxed? Is he feeling good? It, does he have that beautiful smile that I always see on him? And I know that he's feeling good. Or are you know is there is there some uh, tension there? And and we're so good. <laughs> we're so good at. Um, um, identifying that in, in other people because we've evolved to do that. And so when we're cut off, when we, when we are, are isolated or isolate ourselves um, because of how our society has, has developed, we lose something we get lonely you know there's a minister of loneliness in the uk i always noted that that it, it's so pervasive this this um kind of epidemic of loneliness they they created a minister to to try and alleviate that but you don't necessarily need a minister you you need or a governmental you know um person to to help um turn to those people friends families neighbors um even the people that you see uh in your everyday uh interactions, um, um make those social interactions as positive as you can. You don't have to make them, you know, your lifelong friends and you send Christmas presents and birthday presents. You just need to be friendly and and that helps that that um social muscle um get activity.
0: Yeah. Prior to, and I love that they have the, you know, the, the, the loneliness minister is that, you know, somebody who's addressing that. But at the same time, again, this boils down to our own capacity. Yes. But the former surgeon general here in the U.S. uh, prior to the pandemic, you know, his team reached out to me. And he had a new book coming out on what he deemed to be the most threatening issue in our world today mm. and here in the United States specifically, which is loneliness.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: And I, I mean, at first glance, it's just like, ah, that's kind of, that's a tough pill to swallow. But then yeah. I start to look at some of his evidence. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really, really a problem. Right. And then the pandemic happened. Uh. So talk about taking that loneliness and just Amplifying, you know, absolutely. I mean, yeah. strapping it to a rocket.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And you know, then we 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 try to pivot a little bit. Some folks did to social, you know, online interactions. Which again, it, there's a layer there that's helpful for sure. Yeah. But there's nothing that can replace like again, we're we're evolved to be in the presence with other human beings. It's something right. I don't think we have really figured out what the difference is. Mm-hmm. But I love the fact that we still can, still can have that bridge today where right. we have technology to keep us connected. Yeah. But um, you know, a lot of us though kind of got our ostrich on and ducked our head in the sand yeah. even more. Yeah. And so he, having that awareness that how important social support is, and mm-hmm. I want to encourage people to, you know, I, I I'm saying this because again, this is my potential anxiety or um thought process mm-hmm. historically, which was I'll handle it myself.
1: Mm-hmm. You yeah. know,
0: I'm yeah. you know, this is on my my shoulders, my shoulders yeah. alone. I got this. Yeah. And taking on so much that it can actually diminish my capacity yeah. to serve or to 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 help to make yes. change or whatever the case might be. Once I started to open myself up more yeah. to sharing my perspective, my thoughts, what what my mission is, uh-huh. things that I want to work on, whatever yeah. the case might be. Everything started getting so much better, uh-huh. you know, so I just want to encourage people to to not think so much about asking for help, asking questions, yeah, reaching out to a friend, you mm-hmm. know for me, it's like I'll send a study to somebody that I'm uh-huh. just mulling over, like yeah, and you know looking at it from multiple perspectives from my perspective, yeah, but then like what is what do you think about this uh-huh. you know, and so it just helps so much to open things up, yeah, so I just want to encourage people to to reach out send a text, yeah. call somebody, mm-hmm. you know, get together with a friend, you know, counseling can help as well, obviously. yeah. But just please know that we're not hardwired to be by ourselves and to figure yeah. everything out alone. right? And uh, to work with others, so yeah. Yeah, um, such
1: an important message.
0: I wanna ask you about this other one. <laughs> so another of the seven characteristics that show signs of strong resilience is humor.
1: <laughs> I knew you were gonna go for that one. So I have personal anxiety, about humor. I always have the feeling that everybody else is more funny than I am. It's like, oh, I, I, I'm not funny enough. I have anxiety over being not being funny enough. But what I always appreciate is the people that make me laugh. Mm. And um, I don't know whether it was a reaction to the pandemic, but my reading list over the pandemic um, gravitated towards autobiographies of comedians. Huh, and so I read um uh the autobiography of um um Steve Martin during his stand up days, mm-hmm. Billy Crystal, uh um Martin Short, uh Colin Jost, uh Lorraine Newman and I just love them because they are both amazing and humorous mm-hmm. storytellers. Yeah. They and also maybe it reminded me of good anxiety because you learn about um often there's pain and there's suffering in their background that informed this performative uh drive to make others laugh mm. and to bring joy to the rest of the world and it's like ah i see i see some of that magic when i when i read about your your um your full story but part of it is like i've always wanted to be more funny.
0: <laughs> even that, you know, that's and this is another thing that's a quality about us as humans, you yeah. know, just wanting to to engage, to laugh, to have a good time. Yeah. And also knowing that it's contagious yeah. as well, isn't it? Yeah, You know, it's so contagious, smiling, laughter. It's very difficult, you know, if somebody it, it's, it's you might not even know who they are, uh-huh. you might not know what's going on in their life, but you see somebody just cracking up, yeah. dying laughing, it's just like, you know, you like you kind of giggle like, Yeah. It was so funny, you know, Yeah, yeah. and, um, but with that said, I think that as far as resiliency, this one really jumps out at me Mm. because moving away from humor could make it, make the anxiety stronger in a sense, you know, make things where everything is so serious, Mm -hmm. everything is so, you know, black and white. Yeah. We can't find the humor in it or the lightheartedness. Right. You know, like today there's this, you know, kind of running joke that you know people are just looking for ways to be offended yeah for example especially (laughs) by comedy you know and so these comedians like i think about george carlin Uh today like how would he even exist in a medium like this Mm. when you know through his time he was such a a a warrior of insight in a sense and also just that humor lens because you know also making things so that even tough circumstances and things that are difficult to talk about when you bring mm-hmm. humor into it, it also yeah. engages the brain in a different way
1: it does it does it really takes a a certain kind of genius to be able to do that and um yeah i've just always always admired that and not there not going to be on the stand-up stage anytime soon <laughs> listen but <laughs> so i didn't
0: tell you this but we're going to give you five minutes at the end of the show oh for my your God. stand-up <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> okay.
1: Okay, I saw that like you great. saw the
0: tensed up a little bit. Yeah, that's... like no, you're just okay. So I'm
1: going to use my deep breathing because you just made me anxious. <laughs>
0: <sighs> Perfect, okay. right out out the two superhero utility belt. Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I just picture you as Batman with the utility belt, and you know I'm a very visual person. <laughs> All right, so um, again, you talk about this more in depth in the book. We've got these seven characteristics that show signs of resilience. I want to hop over to a couple more things I want to ask you about. One of them is digging a little bit deeper on that optimistic outlook because yeah. I think that can sound a little bit, a little Pollyanna, f- little yeah, yeah, little, little, little yeah. Pollyanna, yeah, little fluffy, little cloud yeah. based. But you talk about cultivating an activist mindset in the book. Let's Mm -hmm. dig in and talk about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's um, another variation of an optimistic mindset or growth mindset. It's really gets down to what can I learn from this? Life is an opportunity of learning. It's not an opportunity of is this a good experience? Is this a bad experience? Is this, you know, is this, uh, going to be a good day or bad day? It's all days to learn something new and, um, to try things out. And, um, my big thing that I had to learn is, is to, to fail sometimes too you can't you can't be the A student all the time and you can't judge yourself that you know if you, you don't you fall off that A that then you're a failure you automatically go to a failure so it really is about um learning how to learn from every situation and that's where that humor comes in it's like oh well okay here's another example i i you know i don't um I'll use one of my skills that I absolutely don't have. Um, I can't spell. I've never mm. been able to spell. And um you know, I could beat myself up about it, or I could use a little bit of humor and I could think about it a little bit and say, "You know what? I can learn how to spell if I memorize all the words that I always misspell because I'm not I'm too lazy to learn. Um, and you see that nothing is impossible. There is always a way to approach it in a positive um, activity-based way. This also gets back to that that goal of our stress system to put us into action. Mm. That activist mindset is just another way to take a challenge and make a activity out of it, make a learning experience out of it, where the goal isn't to be the best one in the world. The goal is to learn a little bit more this next time, and I think it's taken me so long to learn that and and um, to to incorporate that into my life, which makes every day a m- much more fun than yeah. it used to be. Yeah. Rather than you better get an A, you better mm. be the top, you know, two percent. It's ah, what can I learn today? And and you know, I was I, I was not hundred percent. I was I was sixty, but last time I was fifty. So mm. that. That is a good learning curve. Yeah. Can you do that for yourself? Can you do that for your kids? Mm. I think that's uh, also something really great to, you know, uh, to 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 give and to teach your kids.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking about. Is yeah. my kids mm. because also that perfectionism perspective can yeah. push you away from trying new things yes. if you're not great at it right, right out of the gate for example yeah you know so yeah just giving yourself permission to fail give yeah. yourself permission to you know just even having the perspective of like oh this is a this is a learning curve or yeah. this I'm, I'm starting this thing off uh from the beginner's place yeah. and i'm going to get better as long as i you know fill in the blank but right you know one of my kids does have this tendency towards like they have to be the best right Mm -hmm. out of the gate Mm -hmm. or they're just like oh i don't like this anyways you know what i mean because you know we can get we can condition ourselves to constantly be that you know straight a gotta do everything right personality which can serve us in one domain and then hinder us in another so having some flexibility having some humor about it
1: exactly when you
0: told me that you can't spell i felt like oh my
1: my neuroscientist
0: be? friend can't spell, but it's just like, for me, spell check would was invented for you. You know, like you you don't need to to handle that. You know what yes, I
1: mean? Yes, but then you have to notice where that little red line is, and I'm I'm too lazy to to read it carefully enough. Oh, to, I, see. I could get the, I'm the big idea person so I can get yeah. the idea down, but I am too terrible to go and make sure that they're all the thes and the ins and are all in the right place. And um, that's not spelling, but also the, the words are spelled right. I'm uh, really bad at that.
0: Well, actually, so after we wrap here to close out the episode, we're gonna have your five minute stand up and a spelling bee. A
1: spelling bee, yes. All right, so I...
0: be ready. All right, Wendy and the B. <laughs> All right, so you mentioned uh, this growth mindset and the fixed mindset. So looking at Carol Dweck's yeah, work, yeah. you know, the fixed mindset, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Because I think, again, a lot of us annoyingly subscribe to that.
1: Right, right. And again, you know, one can uh, feel that it, it's helpful. I, I only can get an A on this. I can only be perfect or I'm, I'm a failure and there's no in between. And so it's either this way or that way. And there's no room to grow. There's no, no alternative um, possibility. And um, in a sense, that growth mindset that gives you five different other ways to do something, that is really another way of saying you have a creativity mindset right? You are always thinking about different ways to do it, other possibilities. And the fixed mindset is like, it's this way or the highway there's only one. And it Mm. really, um, is, uh, is, is not tapping one of our, one of our most valuable brain functions, which is creativity and, Mm. um, The vision to be able to see multiple possible outcomes.
0: This leads to right to the next thing I want to ask you about, which is how does creativity actually help to boosting our creativity, help to reduce our, our experience with anxiety. Yeah. Before I, before we get to that. Yeah. I want to reiterate this point when we're looking at this fixed mindset Mm -hmm. and every day and i and i want to just implore people to think about this is you don't have to take this on but this this has just been helpful for me yeah i decided many years ago that every day i'm going to just get 1% better mm. you know i'm just going to wake up today and i'm going to do something that makes me at least a little bit better mm-hmm. and that's really helped me to go to bed every day feeling accomplished because mm-hmm. i know that i got a little bit better it might be a little bit better with my fitness a little bit yeah. better with my you know my education Whatever the case, a little bit better as a parent yeah. or a husband, and so just striving to to get a little bit better each day because mm-hmm. we're this is one of our needs as humans. We can try to stifle that, mm-hmm. but we have a basic need for growth, mm-hmm. and this is the, our brain is again very it's it's constantly looking for things to yes. engage with. Yes, you know, and so uh, you can take on that, but also understanding that fixed mindset can show up and kind of. Um, be that stifling mechanism right? where we don't necessarily engage with things that, you know, can, can grow us and move us forward because, and this is the point I want to make, it's moving into discomfort,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know? And yeah. so getting a little bit more comfort, comfortable with discomfort. Yes. So I just want to mention that yeah. in the context of the fixed mindset, because when you are coming with the perspective that there's only one way, yeah. and this is the only way, we're missing out on the fact that truly, I mean, it's so many instances, it's not just two ways or five. There's like right. a thousand other ways, right. but we can limit our ability to see that with that fixed mindset. So, question: Yeah, how does boosting our creativity potentially help with our anxiety?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to flip that around, and I'm going to say that having anxiety is a wonderful way to help boost your creativity. Why? Because in anxiety. Um, there are many different kind of emotional regulation. There are kind of envi- environmental um, changes that you could make to improve your anxiety level. That is a wonderful exercise in creativity. I'm about to have a meeting with the person that makes me the most anxious in, in, in my life. How do I mitigate that anxiety? what kind of mechanism can i use and we give lots of tools in the in in the book about uh preparation getting get, giving putting yourself in in a nice calm mindset before you go there if uh trigger issues come up you can uh kind of deflect that and go to other things that are planned you know what you're going to talk about um you can uh um do that thing where you say um I'm really anxious about this conversation, and I really want to try and make you know the best outcome as possible. Just you know, uh, uh, um, address it full on, full, uh, fully presently. Um, those are all creative mechanisms that you have, and you're probably already using mm. to deal with your anxiety, um, but you don't maybe categorize it as creative. Mechanisms. Think about it as creative mechanisms. Kind of um, enrich that that practice of creativity, and that's how your own anxiety can help enrich your creativity to help your anxiety. The other way I, I talk about the relationship between anxiety and creativity is that sometimes our biggest challenges in our life that includes the anxieties that we have stimulate some of the biggest creative kind of bursts Mm. that we have. And you can read biographies of lots of creative people where all of these challenges, um, have defined the beautiful creative, burst or or thing that this person is known for and without knowing that backstory you think oh this person is just you know bursting with creativity no it it came because you know the poet had dyslexia and couldn't read quickly and instead had to read very slowly that gave him the appreciation of the rhythm of the language Mm. or the sadness that comes from um um, that 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 um, informs songwriting of yeah. some of our most famous songwriters. I'm I'm pulling my examples from a wonderful book uh, called Spark: How Creativity Works, from my friend, written by my friend Julie Burstein, who has interviewed on her show, um, Studio 360, some of the most creative people in in the whole world, and has categorized where this creativity comes from. I talk about her and I quote her in Good Anxiety, and. For so many of our most creative people in our world today, a lot of their creativity comes from those negative emotions, those hardships that they have endured in their life. So that so anxiety becomes a source of creativity, mm-hmm. and people don't think about it that way. But what if that 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 is the case? That is that is a superpower. Uh, a little-known and underappreciated superpower of anxiety.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Should we choose it?
1: Should you choose to take on the challenge?
0: So the last thing I want to ask you about, and there's obviously so much in the book. It's one of my favorite books of the year. I want to make sure that everybody picks up a copy. Um, You you provide a lot of insights and tips, like what can we do? And this is why I'm a very practical, like we have to give some practical things. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, the section is Worrying Well.
1: Ah, yes.
0: And these are tools to calm, flip, and transform your anxiety. And again, there's so much here. Let's just talk about one or two things. We already mentioned the, and there's so much science on this, the importance and value in movement. Yes. What are some of the other things we can look towards? Yeah,
1: yeah. So one of my favorite tools to um, help flip, bad anxiety, good, is a tool that I describe that basically brings more of those positive, yummy, funny uh, emotions into your life. And I love this tool because it, it uses a trick from my 25 years studying the hippocampus and how memory works. So this trick is called, or this tip is called joy conditioning. So would you like some joy conditioning in your life? Yes, please. Yes, okay, so here's how it works. I want you to think about a lovely memory that is infused with whatever good emotion that that suits your fancy right now it could be a funny one funny with your family funny with friends or just a joyous one or just like a, a moment of awe in your life and then um try and choose one that has an olfactory you know stimulation associated with it. Maybe there's the smell of Lake Tahoe or, you know, whatever, wherever you were. Why do I do that? Because I know that the olfactory sense has a a, um, uh, a direct connection. There's only one synapse, one connection between the olfactory bulb and the hippocampus, which is why olfactory stimulations uh, and and, um, reminders can be so evocative of a memory. We've all had that that experience where you smell something and say, oh my God, I've transported back to my piano teacher's home because that's how it smelled. So um, how does it work? Let me give you my example. My example that I use all the time for my joy conditioning is a yoga class that I took. And I crushed it like i did so good in this yoga class i was doing all the moves up down down dog i flipped my dog and uh, you know it was all, all great and i felt so good and i was in my the best move that i do in yoga which is shavasana i was in, in <laughs> shavasana and so feeling really good um and the teacher came around unexpectedly she had lavender um hand lotion. She kind of waved it under my nose. So I got this whiff of wonderful lavender. And then she gave me the most luscious five-second neck massage that I've ever had. Unexpected. It's like, ah, oh, what well, could be better? I'm feeling good. I'm getting this neck massage. And it's just this yummy memory of, of feeling good in my body and an unexpected surprise, whatever memory, whatever emotion that is. But um, I, I, um, use that for my joy conditioning. I want to bring that memory back. What do I do? In my purse right over there, I have a vial of uh, lavender essence and I smell that lavender essence when I want to bring back that. I am satisfied. I feel good. I got an extra special gift kind of feeling. And the more I do it, the easier it is to evoke. I am in, enhancing and um enhancing the memory as I evoke it. And I love it because it is based on your own well of wonderful memories in your life. It's unique to you and you can choose which one you want to bring up for whatever situations. Maybe you need some joy. Maybe you need some humor. Somebody that really made you laugh until you almost peed. Find that memory and bring it up. And that can counteract anxiety and all those quote unquote negative memories that you might have coming up in your day
0: powerful joy conditioning joy conditioning yes oh i love that so much i love that um one one extra little bonus thing i want want to ask you about we talked a little bit about this when i saw you last but you were engaged in a wonderful tea meditation that you ah, were that you yeah. were enjoying at the time and this is another thing that plays, like, again, we, because the word is now very, uh, a big part of our lexicon Yeah, we're talking about meditation right, and mindfulness, mm-hmm. but the key here is, are you doing it or are you utilizing it? Right. And if you look at the state of affairs right now, mm-hmm. where we are hyper anxious, there's so much going on, so much stress in the world. Yeah. It's like we have this miraculous tool within us already. Right to access. So can you talk just a little bit about how mindfulness or meditation could play into this equation?
1: Absolutely. So mindfulness meditation has been studied by neuroscientists, and um, it's been shown to decrease anxiety levels, uh, uh, to improve our focus. We know about the patterns of brain activity as you are going through the meditation process. And let me just dispel the idea that, you know, you, you can completely clear your mind. It's a blank and, and you know, then you, you go into nirvana. No, what happens in meditation is you get into it and then you notice, oops, I'm thinking about my email. And then you go back into it and then you try and get into it. Oh, and then some other thought comes. So it's, it's a process of going back. And as you practice it, you stay in longer periods in in a calm state where you're doing whatever. I I do an open monitoring meditation where I'm basically doing a body scan. How am I feeling in this moment? And I spent years trying to find a kind of meditation that would allow me to do this easily, or more easily. And um, I found this tea meditation which is meditation over the brewing and drinking of tea. And why does it help me? It helps me because tea is a ritual. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it could continue on. So you, you boil the water, you pour the water in the tea, you wait for it to brew, you pour it in your cup, you drink it, and then the cycle starts over again. So it keeps me going as I, as I do this, this tea ritual and it keeps me in this, this mindful state. And boy, it it I do it every single morning. I did it this morning um, here in LA, and um, it it helps me work on my ability to focus on the present moment. And I never think about my um, about other things, especially when I have a beautiful view to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, the tea monk that that um, taught me this said, always have some nature that you can look at, a houseplant. If you're inside, look out the window at something living. And um, that I, I haven't done a study on exactly this form of meditation, but I can tell you that my anxiety levels are um, are good. I'm in good anxiety when I do this. And I, pre- I prepare myself for the day. We talked about resilience it enhances my resilience when I do my meditation because it it keeps me in this good state. It, it um, reminds me of that good anxiety baseline. And um, I encourage people to start with a simple breath meditation and explore. There are thousands of kinds yeah. of meditations to do. Find the one that, that you love, um, and it will... It will bring you into good anxiety.
0: Yeah, oh, thank you so much, Wendy. You know, I don't see you very often, but you're one of my favorite people. Oh, you thank know, you. You I remember when we met. People. Was that it? Was Chicago? Was speaking of the It was, it was Chicago, Chicago at
1: the Cusp Festival.
0: Yes, and I just knew right then in that moment, like this woman is amazing. You are so brilliant and so insightful. And I want to make sure that you know your book coming out at this time, as mm. I mentioned to you, it is not an accident. Mm-hmm. It's so needed. And, you know, I shared with you this recent CDC report, and this is over 500,000 folks and looking at what are the biggest risk factors for death associated with COVID. Number one was obesity, which we know. Mm -hmm. Number two was fear and anxiety related disorders being the second biggest risk factor for death. And it's just like, it's not being talked about Mm -hmm. because we have to understand truly when we're caught in a state of bad anxiety, Yeah what, how depressive and suppressive it is to our immune system, for example, and just our biology overall. So your book being a resource and Mm -hmm. a light truly to turn that on its head and to utilize the superpower we have within us. So I want to make sure everybody, we need to make this a big, big bestseller and to make sure that this is a resource that people are easily finding out there. So Go and pre-order the book right now. Go to your Amazon retailer, Barnes & Noble, wherever your favorite book retailer is. Or you can also go to goodanxiety.com. Pre-order the book today. Make sure that you get your copy as soon as it comes out. It's very, very important and very powerful. And again, I just want to thank you so much for being so amazing. Thank you for having time to drop in and see me on your West Coast trip.
1: Oh, my pleasure. What a fun conversation. I love... I love what you bring to the world. I love talking to you. So thank you for having me.
0: It's my pleasure. Now time for the spelling bee. Oh, God. (laughs) I appreciate you so much.
1: Thank you, Sean.
0: Awesome, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in, Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Truly, managing our mental health is of the utmost importance today. And we have resources. We have tools but it's just a matter of us getting access, getting education, and then getting access, taking action when it presents itself. So definitely pick up a copy of Good Anxiety today. Pre-order it ASAP. It's very, very important, powerful, such an important part and dynamic of this conversation is looking at what can we actually do with these epidemics of anxiety. And listen, if you got a lot of value out of this episode, please make sure to share it out with your friends and family on social media. You can tag me, I'm at Sean Model on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook, I'm at The Model Health Show. And also of course you can send this episode direct from the podcast app to somebody that you love and give them some good vibes for the day. I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show.